That gospel lesson is from John, the third chapter, verses 1 through 17. Hear now God's words for you. There was a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee and a Jewish leader. One night he went to Jesus and said, Sir, we know that God has sent you to teach us you could not work these miracles unless God were with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you for certain that you must be born from above before you can see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how can a grown man ever be born a second time? And Jesus answered, I tell you for certain that before you can get into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born not only by water, but by the Spirit. Humans give life to their children, yet only God's Spirit can change you into a child of God. Do not be surprised when I say that you must be born from above. Only God's Spirit gives new life. The Spirit is like the wind that blows wherever it wants to. You can hear the wind, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I tell you for certain that we know what we are talking about because we have seen it for ourselves but none of you will accept what we say. If you don't believe when I talk to you about things on earth, how is it possible to believe if I talk to you about things in heaven? No one has gone up to heaven except the Son of Man who came down from there. And the Son of Man must be lifted up just as the metal snake was lifted by Moses in the desert. Then everyone who has faith in the Son of Man will have eternal life. God loved the people of this world so much that He gave His only Son so that everyone who has faith in Him will have eternal life and never really die. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn its people. He sent Him to save them. This is the Word of the Lord. I always find Sunday mornings as an interesting time when we can sort of look at each other across a gathered worship space and, and try to be um, honest. And as I look out across a congregation, and I, I don't mean this to sound the way it does, but I'm just going to say it this way. When I look out across a, a congregation of Presbyterians, the honest truth is we tend to be people who think we're pretty smart. Right? Of course we do. Some of us have advanced degrees from universities, and that helps. Uh, some of us have done important things in our working lives, and that helps us think we're pretty smart. Some of us have done important things whether or not we have degrees. We have what some folks would call a sort of native intelligence, and that commands respect. When I was a child, my father used to say, no matter where you go, no matter who you meet, there will always be somebody who is bigger and smarter and stronger and tougher than you are. But that's okay. That's just the way the world is. But none of that takes away from your value and your worth. Now, the honest truth is the world is filled with smart people and some who are less smart. But everybody tends to be pretty smart in their own field, in their own way. 
I look out on this congregation, I know that there's a significant number of you who are either engineers or chemists. And I can say that in either, in either congregation, upstairs or down, and know that's true. I'd never make either one. That's not my gifts. i got a brother who is, but... However, I do know that being smart in whatever field you may be smart in is not the same thing as having wisdom. Wisdom is more than a matter of being smart. There are lots of wise, brilliant people who may not have a lot of wisdom. And as far as I can tell, wisdom is almost impossible to really define. So we come to this story of Nicodemus, this smart man who comes and tries to make sense out of Jesus. How do we make sense out of anything? Well, we look at it and we compare it to past experience. We look at the person or the experience and we try to compare it to something we know well, right? We base it on the categories that make sense to us. Though John doesn't tell us too much about Nicodemus, he introduces him as a ruler of the synagogue. And we're quick to understand that this is a learned man, a smart man, who has come to well, for lack of a better word, to interrogate Jesus. Therefore, he puts himself in a position that is slightly above Jesus. But by the end of the conversation, of course, Jesus is interrogating Nicodemus. Jesus has a way of doing that. He turns the tables. We'll see that later on when Jesus addresses Pilate. Nicodemus understands himself to be a smart man just like we think we're smart people. What he really wants to know is, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? He is a controversial rabbi who has come into Jerusalem at this time of the Passover, and in some ways he has whipped the crowd into a frenzy. He did it when he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. And so folks are asking the question, who is this guy? Think of Nicodemus as a learned inquirer, a teacher in his own right, a leader of the Jews. But I think what's interesting is he comes at night. He must have wanted to conduct this interrogation of Jesus safe from public gaze, you think? Is he afraid that the other Pharisees will wonder why he's so interested in Jesus? He begins his conversation with Jesus by saying, Now we know. Who's this we? It's that great royal we that we like to use ourselves when we think we're right and we think everybody else agrees with us. What we usually say, though, is not we know. What we usually say is, well, everybody knows that, right? Well, of course, we don't know that everybody knows that. That's our assumption about what everybody knows. We know that you've come from God. That's what Nicodemus says. Maybe it's a compliment. The way it plays out in the translation I read for you today, it sounds like a compliment. 
But maybe it's not. Maybe it's trap. Maybe it's Nicodemus saying, I'm going to say this, and if Jesus says, yes, I am, he'll say, well, now I got you. We don't know. What he says is, we know that you've come from God. But Jesus refuses to answer the questions, even the assumptions that Nicodemus brings. Jesus is what modern, modern psychologists would call a self-actualized person. Anybody know that term? <laughs> Those are the folks that accept themselves and other people as they are. They tend to lack inhibition. They enjoy a guilt-free life. They treat everybody the same no matter what their background is. They don't let the worries and the angst of somebody else become their worries and their angst. They're able to care for, to love others without allowing the others' issues to overwhelm them. Self-actualized people. And you know what? The world hates them. The world hates self-actualized people because we don't take on the world's burdens if we happen to be one of those. So rather than giving a response to Nicodemus and what Nicodemus asks, Jesus goes to the heart of the matter and really tries to answer what Nicodemus actually wants to know. It's not the question he asks. It's what's underneath the question. I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born from above. And Nicodemus says, boy, this is a riddle, isn't it? <laughs> this doesn't make sense. How can you be born again once you're grown up? Jesus says, got to be born from above. Here's a learned man trying to figure out Jesus, and Jesus is almost as if he's saying, you can't figure me out. At least not, you're not going to figure me out if you want to use me for your own purposes. The only way you're going to get into the kingdom is you've got to be born from above. And it's a God thing. It doesn't have anything to do with a technique or a law or a program we undertake. It's a work that God undertakes. Babies do not decide when they're going to be born. We say they do sometimes, but they don't. They come when it's time, and that's just the way it is. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he uses two things that we absolutely know we don't control. Birth and the blowing of the wind. We don't control those things. It's primarily not something we do. It's something God does. Nicodemus wants to know, what have I got to do to get on board with this new thing you're doing? And Jesus responds, nothing you can do. You have to be born from above. It is that free, uncontrolled movement of God in the world like the wind. Started out this sermon by saying we've got lots of smart people in this congregation. Many of us are inquirers in our own field. We are leaders. We don't exactly sneak into church on a Sunday morning. We drive here and we walk in bold as brass. 
We try to have a conversation with Jesus, and sometimes the conversation we try to have gets couched in so many religious ideas or language that it becomes confusing. We don't mean for it to be cryptic. Jesus didn't mean for this being born from above to be cryptic. That's us. That's not Him. It's just there's a deeper wisdom here. It's more than about being smart. It's about being wise. So maybe a second Sunday in Lent is a good time to remind us that the core of faith is always God's work, not yours. Faith is a gift from God to us. And it becomes the core of the relationship, and the relationship's a gift. You didn't have to do it. It is God's love shown toward us, not our reaching out toward God. Who is this Jesus really? Well, this Jesus is God who is with us. Now, you've heard that before. You know that. We believe it. Unfortunately, too often we act like we don't believe it. What we tend to do in the life of religion or in the life of faith in the church is we make all sorts of hoops for people to jump through. Like most of you, I do that sort of thing myself. Who gets emails here they didn't ask for? I really ought to set my junk mail a little better because I get stuff you wouldn't believe. And, and some, frankly, some of it can be kind of crude and rude, but somehow I don't ever seem to get it blocked. But I saw one that came in recently, and it was from a team of management gurus. And for $200, if I pay by April the 1st, hmm, April the 1st, if I pay by April the 1st, they're going to change my life and the life of my company. Did you know you were a company? <laughs> now, I'm sure there are all kinds of things I could learn new. Lord knows I need better skills in lots of things. But when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, it's not about skill. We're not talking about techniques. It's about wind. It's about birth. We struggle to understand it. Any of us that grew up here in the Bible Belt know that the phrase was always born again. The way I did it this morning was born from above. Unfortunately, the first one has led to all sorts of debate and controversy, and it tends to make us want to move towards something we have to do or say or think. Something we got to achieve. That's what Nicodemus wanted. Or we set parameters about who we're going to include and who we're going to exclude from the new birth. You have to have this emotional experience. You have to say just these correct words. You must describe it in just this way. You must be just this sort of person. What I find interesting is that after this message of Jesus, cryptic or not, about new birth 
and wind. Jesus then reminds us about the why. Why is it a God thing? And it's the little placard they hold up at all the ball games. The one we all learned as children. It's because God so loved the world that he gave. You know that, right? You said that. You learned that as a child. But I remind you, it doesn't say God loved part of the world. It doesn't say that God loves the world when it loves him back in the right way. It's not God loved the part of the world that was doing all the right things and believing all the right things. Uh-uh. Paul reminds us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the world whether we're loving God back or not. We don't achieve. We don't do. It's a God thing. Back a couple of election cycles ago, one of the parties came up with a phrase that they used, and, you know, short and snappy, that's what we always do in political campaigns. Yes, we can. Well, the other folks came back with the other side and said, no, you can't. Sounds like children, doesn't it? Yes, I can. No, you can't. <laughs> well, often politics looks that way. Some smart person on a church sign took all that and turned it around, and they said, no, you can't, but God can. And that really is what this is about today. James Finney is a Ph.D., acclaimed author, a clinical psychologist, and for a while he was a Trappist monk at the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky. While he was there, he worked under the world-renowned monk and author Thomas Merton. Finney writes that he tried hard to improve his prayer life. And then Merton, he says, led him to understand that prayer is as much a matter of receiving God as doing something to get to God. And this is the way Merton said it. Merton said, quit trying so hard in prayer. He said, how does an apple ripen? It just sits in the sun. A small green apple cannot ripen all in one night by tightening all its muscles and squinting its eyes and clenching its jaw, hoping that the next morning it's going to be miraculously big and red and ripe and juicy. Like the birth of a baby, like the opening of a rose, the birth of the true self takes place in God's time. We must wait for God. We must be awake. We must trust in God's hidden action in us. This birth, this elusive relationship with God, Jesus compares to wind whistling through the treetops or the cries of a newborn. And that's not something any of us get to control. When will we learn that faith is not our choosing, our desiring, our hard work? It is a gracious, lovingly given gift that we simply open arms and try to accept. Nicodemus is this smart, 
leader of his people. Later on, Nicodemus becomes a bit wiser. Now, I'm not going to say that Nicodemus understood everything. I'm not sure any of us ever do. But we know later that when the critics tried to arrest Jesus, it's Nicodemus who defends him. It's Nicodemus who, in the end, with the help of Joseph of Arimathea, carries the body of Jesus from the cross to a tomb. Somehow, in the course of this evening discussion, in spite of all his failure to understand, Jesus gets through and Nicodemus understands enough. Martin Luther called John 3, 16 and 17 the gospel in miniature. The power behind God's movement toward us is always love and it's toward this whole cosmos around us. God sent the Son to bring us life. It's the smart ones like Nicodemus, as well as some of us who may not quite be so smart, who sometimes have trouble comprehending this grace. And so I invite you this Lent. Receive the gifts of God let this gentle, life-changing wind blow through your life. Just be open for wherever God is. For you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.